the reading is actually from the book of Matthew, chapter 6. And these are all the words of Jesus. It's the Beatitudes, and it's from the uh, verse 19 to 34. Lay not up yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor the rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light is in thee, be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will have uh, serve the one and love the other, or he shall behold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, for what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor, sorry, yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they, sh they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into the, into the barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them, and are they not much better than they? Which of you is taken thought can add one cubit to your statute? And why take thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, shall, which in the day is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for their heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And I'm sure the Lord will bless his word to our hearts this morning. God bless you.
Something sounding a little bit loud this morning. Good morning, everybody. Uh, if you do feel the need to jiggle around, move around, to uh, stroll, to perambulate, as long as you keep your two meters distance, feel free, because it is absolutely freezing in here today, and that's why this coat is staying on. Uh, sorry, folks, uh, you're not going to get somebody looking suited and booted. You're going to look somebody in the eye who's maybe slightly warm, but only slightly. So this morning, we've got the fourth one thing. Yeah, fourth one thing. The first one we had, one thing that I do. And we heard how that should be affecting our lives. And then one thing I know. Well, one thing I know, that's how that should affect us. And then last week we had one thing that I ask. The one thing that I ask, based on Psalm 27, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. A beautiful reminder to, to live a life of worship, to, to be so focused on Christ that everything we do, everything we say is an act of worship is an act of practicing the presence of God with our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so this week, we're focusing on the final, I think, of the one thing in the series, the fourth one thing, one thing at a time. And it's based on Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, which in the NIV says, "'Therefore do not worry about tomorrow.'" For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And you know, I think this is something we'd all aspire towards, isn't it? It's something that we'd all love to be able to do, to say, I don't worry. I don't worry about tomorrow. It never bothers me. But how do you do it? How do you actually live a life without worry? How, how do you get there? Because it's wonderful to be told something, isn't it? Don't worry. And we know when people say that to us, we go, yeah, I'd love to. But I just can't. I just don't know how not to worry. And it's quite a bold statement by Jesus, isn't it? Don't worry about tomorrow. But I think the context of these verses is what's important. Because somebody once said to me, uh, it was a guy called Dave Ollerton, he was standing at the front of a church, and he said, a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. <laughs> a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. And, and it was somebody possibly Canadian that said it originally, we don't really know. But what it actually means is this. It is really easy to take any verse in the Bible and say, see, it says this, so therefore I'm right and you're wrong. But it doesn't take account of the context. It doesn't take account of the wider picture. Because none of our statements stand in isolation. We know what it's like when somebody says something that we've said and they take it out of context and they make it say what they want it to say. It hurts, it doesn't it? It's wrong. You sit there and go, I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. And when we come to the Bible... We should never just take something out of context, pluck it away from where it came from and say, see, it says this. We should apply it within the context. So, so what is the broader context here? Well, we, we heard Brian read some of it, didn't we? About flowers and birds that don't sow or don't reap or don't weave. 
about how transitory life is, about how brief it is. So some people have read those words and kind of gone, do you know what? I don't need to worry because God will definitely provide whatever I want, whatever I fancy, God will give it to me. I'll name it, I'll proclaim it, and yes, no, that's not what those verses mean. I don't think Jesus was pointing in that direction at all. I don't think he was just saying, crack on, you'll get everything you want. Others have concluded as they've read those verses that um, we should maybe aim to uh, avoid worry through living an ascetic life, denying ourselves everything, not eating much, not drinking much, not doing anything much, because, because as, we, as we live in that act of self-denial permanently, then we will live without worry. Well, I don't think that's where Jesus was pointing either. Some have gone to the extent of saying, I don't even need to work. Birds don't work, flowers don't work, therefore I don't need to work. I can kick back and just live life. Nah, I don't think he was going there either. So should we go a bit broader again? Should we have a look at the whole of this sermon? Because these words come from the Sermon in the Mount, or the Sermon on the Mount, or the Sermon on the Plain, if you're reading Luke. Yeah, they're part of a whole series of teaching that, that Matthew recorded, teaching to a huge crowd, teaching to a small crowd of disciples. But teaching to a huge crowd starts at the end of Matthew chapter 4 and ends at the end of chapter 7. I did joke with Brian earlier saying you can read the whole thing and uh, I wouldn't have had to say anything, and you might be glad for that, but there's a broad range of topics that are covered in this. There's, there's grace and there's goodness. Sacrifice for the sake of others. Being salt and light as a believer. Being true to your word. Not judging others. Being different from those who don't believe by, by loving enemies. By doing good without reward. By giving to the needy secretly by praying simply and secretly by fasting secretly by not seeking earthly riches but heavenly treasures asking seeking knocking now i do believe the passage that we're looking at when considered in the whole of this context is about Jesus saying, you don't need to worry. That we don't need to fear the future like the Gentiles that we mostly are. That we can, that we can live life. But I don't think it's just a simple command. Don't worry, just do it. I think Jesus is trying to point us through the whole of this sermon about the ways that we can live without worry. The, the how of it, not just the do it. And the first part comes from the start of the block of texts, which our verse kind of ends, the book ends, I suppose. It says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? 
that therefore hooks us back into the broader context. It, it, it's building a statement saying, look, because of all this, you can live in a different way. You don't need to store up earthly treasures. You don't need to hang on to every penny. Serving money instead of God. Because the money that you earn is given to you to be used, not to be hoarded. You pray and you fast, giving up time and food to serve God because you're given time to give away and not hoard for yourself. And you give to those in need because you should take what you have, what you have been given, and use it in helping others. You do it all secretly, without seeking recognition, because if you get a recognition, you've had your reward. You've had the pat on the back. It, it's, you're all good. God sees what you do in secret. And I have a true story for you for this, because uh, about, well, not about, in November 1999, I had a four-year-old at home called Bethan, a two-year-old called Tom, and I had an almost born called Alary. We didn't know she was called Alary yet, but she would be called Alary when she appeared in the February the following year. And I just moved into a new job. You know, I, I was working in Bristol, commuting back and forth every day. I had the fully expensed company car. I had the private medical insurance. I had benefits and bonuses and all sorts of things going on. I thought I was sorted. And I got called to set a budget for the coming year. I got called to my boss's office in Pontypool, and as I walked into the office, I can remember seeing there was my boss, and next to him was a colleague from HR. I thought it was interesting. Don't often invite HR in to set budgets. And sat down, and they said, Andy, you're quite new with the company, and um, we're restructuring. And um, I'm very sorry but because we're buying a bigger depot over in Avonmouth that already has a manager, uh, we don't need you. You can keep the car for a month, uh, and then you can give it back. No need to go back to Bristol. We'll sort out your desk and everything. You can pick it up from the depot in Cardiff. Thank you. Goodbye. And I can remember driving home, thinking, what am I going to do? Jan works full-time looking after two small kids. I'm the only one who earns money. We have a mortgage to pay. We have bills to pay. We've got a boiler that's teetering on the brink of death. What are we going to do? I really didn't know. I had absolutely no idea. So I reached out and I spoke to a few people. I got a couple of contracting jobs just to do some consultancy work. But... I, I finished a job and I looked at the money in the bank account and I thought we've got just enough to pay the mortgage and then that's it. Just got whatever I get from when I sign on with the DSS. So I got up, I carried on doing what I normally would do, get up, pray, read my Bible. And, and, and I can remember getting up one morning, I've always been an early riser, it was about 6.30, and I, I padded down and there on the mat on our porch was an envelope. 
bit early for the postie to come round. I picked it up, and written on it was, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I opened it. Sorry, it makes me quite emotional. Um, there was a few hundred quid in it from someone. And that carried on for the six months I was unemployed. Whenever I had work, no envelopes. Whenever I didn't have work, envelopes would just appear through our door. It meant that we could replace the boiler when it broke. It meant that we could pay our mortgage. It meant that we were cared for. And I still, to this day, have no idea who did it. All I know is someone heard God and followed what he said. And you might think this is a kind of a new concept, I suppose, something that's only been ever developed in the modern age. Well, Catherine of Siena, 14th century, wrote this. Speaking of God, I could easily have created humanity, possessed of all that they should need, both for body and soul. But I wish that one should have need of the other, and that they should be my ministers to administer the graces and gifts that they have received from me. Whether one will or no, one cannot help making an act of love. Even Jesus spoke of it, didn't he? In relation to the judgment. Where he said, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And people said, Lord, Lord, where were you? When did I see you? They said, whatever you did for the least one of these, you did it for me. So the first key, really, to living without worry is you can help others not to worry by being Christ to them. Is it Bruce Almighty says? Or Denzel, you know, Denzel Washington's playing God and Bruce Almighty, and he turns and says, be the miracle. Be the one who acts because you can. That's point one. Jesus expects you and me to use all that we have to bless others so that they don't worry. But the second point, the second thing, comes from an awareness of God. God in action in our lives by slowing down and noticing, noticing the details, by going one day at a time, one moment at a time. Because the entire thrust of Jesus' teaching through the Sermon on the Mount is that God is active, God is present, God cares. That God is not only transcendent, lifted up and high and in heaven above, but also here, present with us at our very shoulders. That God visibly works in our lives. Now, Joe, it was great, wasn't it, to, to have that reminder last week to fix our eyes on Jesus, that, that, that wonderful illustration of belting down the motorway at 150 miles an hour, fixed on the, the future, fixed on, on God, seeing him in the distance and fixing our eyes on him and everything falling into place. 
That was a brilliant illustration and a brilliant point to make. We've got to remember that God is there. God will always be there. I do think that what God would say to you this morning is, slow down, why are you speeding? Why are you going at 150 miles an hour? Slow down. Pull into the inside lane. Notice the details of what's going on around you. The aim is not simply not to crash. The aim is not flat out to get to heaven as quick as you can. With Paul we say to live is Christ. To die is gain. But to live is Christ. Because so often we go through life at 100 miles an hour. You know, the details just whiz by us. We get so distracted by, by everything that's going on because you know, I was with Richard a bit this morning. You know, January seems to have lasted six weeks. But if I'm honest, the last two years seem to have gone like that. It's been so hard, and yet when I look back, I've, I've kind of lost track, and I wonder how much is that because I've distracted myself. I've found, found things to distract myself from all the horrors of what's going on around me. So often, when we go fast, things don't register. We miss them. So maybe let's slow up. Maybe let's slow down. Let's start to take notice of what's going on around us. Notice others and their needs. Notice the, the things that are happening in, in our community, in our businesses, in our homes. Notice what's going on in our lives. Noticing God at work. God at work in, in the small things, as well as the big things, in the subtle things, the things that we can easily miss. Because I think Jesus is pointing out something of great significance for us as believers here. If God cares for sparrows and flowers, birds and lilies, and he cares for them, surely, if you are worth so much more than they are, and God is working in their lives, in their existence, well then he's working in yours too. Surely that must be the case. And then you can say, well, maybe I don't need to worry, not because I haven't got things to worry about, but because I start to see God at work. I start to notice, oh, God's here. God's dealing with that. God's addressing that trouble. God's addressing that problem. God's, God's speaking into my heart and my life. And Jesus, when he said... Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's really easy to spiritualize that, isn't it? To make it sound like, oh, yeah, seek ye first the kingdom of God. You, know, it, it, you can almost hear the, you know, I should have a little mitre on, I feel, and you could say it in a particular kind of way, and it would have a very deep and spiritual meaning. But, but when you look at what's underpinning that, that, that righteousness is the work of God's people in creation. It, it's putting into practice everything that we live in. It's not necessarily the spiritual stuff. It's the spiritual stuff affecting our whole lives, making us different, changing the way that we live. 
So seeking God's kingdom is a seeking of God's kingdom activity in our lives, in the lives of others. It's about looking. Where's God at work? What's God doing here? Where's God at work in your life and in my life? And when we notice, when we see God at work, not just going, yep, as expected, going, wonderful. Giving God glory because he's working. Because we're recognising our Lord and our Saviour. Working out his purposes. You see... When we notice God at work, when we see him doing in our lives everything that we would expect him to be doing, in the big things and in the little things, it reminds us that God cares. No matter what, no matter what our lives look like, no matter what we're struggling with, it reminds us that God cares. And that, you know, we sung about that uh, spring of joy bursting out, didn't we, in that hymn? And I wonder how many people, as they sung that, thought, I've never seen it. I've never experienced a, a wellspring of joy burst up. Well, I think when we see God at work and we know that we're cared for, that's where the joy comes from. Knowing that Christ is not yet done with you or with me. That Christ is still taking this broken, fragile pot that is Andy Gibbs and going, yeah, there's still stuff to be done but I still care. There's still things to be looked after, there's still things to be resolved, but I still care, I still want to change him. You know, when Paul writes to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 4 and says, do not be anxious, but by prayer and petition bring everything to the Lord. We focus in on that verse, but again, the context, two verses before, so you've got Philippians 4 verse 6, do not be anxious, Philippians 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will tell you again, rejoice. We're to rejoice in God, and that helps us deal with worry. That helps us to to find the, the courage and the strength to face the day that we're in and say, God is in this, no matter what's going on. It's anxiety banishing most of the time. I would love to say that I am perfect in this. I would love to say that I have it all sorted, but I am descended from a gold medalist in worrying, and I, um, I'm a close runner-up at times, if, it's, if I'm honest. But it's true. Because the thing is this, and I guess this is the real point I want to make, is you were not simply saved from sin by Jesus' death on a cross and his resurrection. You were not simply saved from all that had gone past. You were saved for a life in Christ. You were saved to be alive. Jesus said this, didn't he? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Abundant life, joyous life, fulfilled life. And that they that Jesus is talking about in those words, that's you and that's me. Every single believer in this place, watching online, today, tomorrow, whenever, we were saved for an abundant life. And as Jesus said, how many of us make our lives more abundant by worrying? 
Hands up who's added an hour to their life by worrying. Got one. Excellent. If you can tell me how you did it, I'd love to know, because all I know is I tend to worry about things that never happen, or I worry about things that will happen whatever I worry about. Worry doesn't give me strength for today. It robs me of my strength. So this is my thing. The one thing I do, the one thing I do at a time, is face each day as it comes. Seeking to notice Christ at work. Seeking to see the Spirit leading, changing, guiding, so that I can know that I do not go through this alone. I go through this with Christ. Every single step of the way. So, wherever your life is today, whatever your day looks like today, Christ walks with you. If you're hungry or if you're full, Christ is there with you. If you're satisfied or if you're longing, Christ is there with you. If you're in the valley or on the mountaintop, Christ is there with you at work because Christ cares for you and Christ cares about your very life because your heavenly Father knows what you need before you even say it and is working already that you might have what you need because the Holy Spirit is active in you and through you and around you because the kingdom of heaven, as Christ said, is near at hand. If you'll only stop and notice where Christ is at work. So slow down. Live today for today. And realise that Christ is with you every step of the way. Amen.